In 2020, only 93 Black women had ever raised over a million dollars in venture capital, according to a report by Project Diane. And in 2021, Crunchbase found that Black female startup founders received merely 0.34% of the total venture capital spent in the U.S. in the first half of the year. The extreme funding gap that exists for Black female entrepreneurs is laid bare through these figures. What they don't tell, though, is the story of those select few Black female founders who get funded and the path they must then chart largely for themselves. Today, we'll hear from one Black female entrepreneur who got her funding and discuss how she's navigating being on the other side of these statistics. The early days of starting Mayel was very trial and error. You know, I came from a nursing background, had no idea about business, had no idea about product formulation, nothing about entrepreneurship. But sometimes your greatest asset can be the fact that you just don't know. This is Monique Rodriguez, founder and CEO of Mayel Organics, the fastest growing Black-owned and women-led natural hair care company in the world. In 2021, Monique became the first ever Black woman to secure a nine-figure, non-controlling investment deal with Berkshire Partners. First, we'll hear how she turned her passion for hair care and women's health into a global beauty brand. Then, I'll sit down with Monique to speak about growing pains and how Monique is leading to execute through this new phase. And throughout the conversation, we'll draw on ideas from my new book, Lead to Win. Welcome to Access and Opportunity. I'm your host, Carla Harris, and we're telling the stories of individuals working to drive change within their communities. We provide context about systemic inequities and share tangible examples of how ideas around access and opportunity are being made real every day. I remember being a little girl, going into my grandmother's bathrooms and playing in her makeup and lipstick and being obsessed with her hair products and what she used. But I never thought that what I had an interest in and what I love was something that I can make a career out of. Monique was born and raised in the south side of Chicago in the early 80s. Growing up in the inner city, she wasn't exposed to entrepreneurs or other mentors in business who she connected with. When I was growing up, the notion of kids can't be what they don't see. I did not see women entrepreneurs, let alone Black women, that were running and operating businesses. Like, that was so foreign. It was like, you think you have the audacity to do what? Coming from the background that I came from and the childhood that I grew up in, and no fault to my mom because it was what she knew, but her whole thing was, I need to teach my daughter how to survive. While young Monique harbored dreams of starting a beauty business one day, inspired in part by her mother's hobby of sewing and clothes making, her mother encouraged her to follow a more stable career path. Monique heeded that advice, becoming a registered nurse. But she never fully let go of her childhood ambitions. What I've discovered is that when you have a burning dream and desire in your heart, that dream and desire is never going to go away until you fulfill it, until you act on it. With that ambition in the background, Monique worked in hospitals around Chicago for the next nine years to help support her growing family. By 2013, she'd married her high school sweetheart, Melvin, 
and together they had two daughters. And soon they'd be welcoming their third child, a son. I was eight months pregnant with our third child, and I had a very high-risk pregnancy. And unfortunately, my son passed away from complications. And it was a very dark and tragic place that I was in. And in order to pick myself up out of that dark place, I knew I had to lean on my faith, redefining who I was as a person and not living my life for what other people thought that I should do to be successful, but really doing something that was my true gift and calling. Moving into her purpose started off small for Monique. She began a hair care journey to naturally heal her curls from years of color and heat damage. She also started documenting the process and sharing it on social media as an outlet for expression and to connect with community through joy. Because I felt that me being a consumer, I was underserved. There was no one that related to me and understood my hair needs and my struggles. And so I started making mixtures and concoctions in my kitchen because I was helping my hair. I would share that on social media. And what I realized is that a lot of women were having some of the same issues and problems and it wasn't being addressed. And because I received so many requests to buy what I was already making at home, I decided to serve in an area where I felt was untapped. According to Mintel, Black hair care is valued at $2.5 billion as of 2021 and growing. Today, major hair care companies are all but scrambling to create natural hair care products for the lucrative segment they've long ignored. But way back in 2014, when Monique was entering the space, she considered it a leap of faith. The early days of starting Mayel was... Very trial and error. You know, I came from a nursing background, had no idea about business, had no idea about product formulation, nothing about entrepreneurship. But sometimes your greatest asset can be the fact that you just don't know. Because I tend to be a person that overthinks. And when I don't know anything about an industry, I can't overthink about a situation because I don't know what to expect. Monique faced a steep learning curve to turn her natural home remedies into shelf-stable products that were fit to ship. With no proven track record or existing relationships in hair care manufacturing, getting her first product off the ground was a huge personal gamble. I did a lot of research, found a local chemist on Google in the Chicago area that was willing to give me a try and didn't charge me an arm and a leg for minimums. And we worked together for a very long time. And so that's how my ale brand started with just one product, our mint almond oil. And then I just launched and we just grew from there. My community, when I first launched, was very small. I had about 500 followers. So I didn't have a large audience. But what I did have was a lot of engagement. So I never focused on the fact that I didn't have the numbers. What I focused on was, yeah, I know I have a small following, but how can I overserve them and deliver the best so then they can talk about it and share it with other people? And that's how my following will grow. Soon, 500 followers became 10,000. Today, nearly 1 million people follow Mayel on Instagram. And as Monique's following has grown and evolved, so too has her business. In the beginning with starting Mayo, it was solely off of 
my nursing paychecks. And then once I got it off the ground, we bootstrapped for about a year and a half until we got our first retail call from Sally Beauty. Going into retail, we knew that we needed funding to support the retail shelf. We needed funding for marketing. And so we were fortunate enough to receive a loan. It was like $200,000. From then on, we continued to bootstrap until 2018, where we were able to get a line of credit. That loan allowed Monique to start growing and scaling Mayel. By 2020, the business was attractive enough for Monique to raise her first round of seed funding unlocking a new phase of growth. Today, Mayel distributes in more than 87 countries in over 100,000 stores across the globe. It's a vision that Monique continues to expand upon, not only for herself, but for others looking to follow suit. Ultimately, what I do is bigger than hair products because it's inspiring and impacting people's lives to dream bigger and to know that there is so much more to life than the traditional route in which we were taught and conditioned to think as kids growing up. Monique's success shows what is possible for Black female entrepreneurs when passion is paired with adequate resources, funding, and support. And for Monique, it's just the beginning. Last year, she broke the glass ceiling for Black-owned women-led brands, inking a historic nine-figure, non-controlling investment deal with Berkshire Partners. Now, all eyes are on her. I'm so excited to speak to Monique at this moment of her founder's journey because it's a uniquely critical time for her as a leader. Indeed, shortly after recording this conversation, Mayel announced it had been bought by Procter & Gamble, the largest consumer goods company in the world. In my more than three decades on Wall Street, I've worked alongside many CEOs at this same pivotal juncture. Through it all, I've cultivated what I like to call my hard-earned and hard-learned pearls. In my latest book, Lead to Win, I've identified key intentions people can set in order to be a powerful, impactful leader, no matter where you work. I sat down with Monique to talk about how she's leading to execute on this next chapter for Mayel. Monique, thank you so much for being here with me today. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Are you ready? I am absolutely ready. (laughs) All righty. So on Access and Opportunity, we often highlight obstacles to securing adequate funding. Now you've got your capital, Monique, and and now comes the even harder part is execution. So to get us going, how would you describe your leadership style? Yeah, because my background is in nursing. My leadership style has never been authoritative. You do this, you do that. And I'm just going to sit back in my CEO head and watch everybody work around me. If I lead with compassion, I feel like it creates an environment where people can truly feel like they work for an organization that cares about them. It's not just about profitability. Profitability for me is also when my people are happy. You know, I think leadership has taken on this type of masculinity. And I want to bring that femininity back to leadership because I think Mm -hmm. that you can still lead with authority, but not be authoritative. And I feel like you can lead with compassion and still get the job done in a caring way. So let's you and I 
try to change in this conversation right now the way people characterize leadership styles, because you are absolutely right that historically this my way or the highway leadership style has been viewed to be more masculine. Yeah. And the compassionate, empathetic side has been viewed to be uh, more feminine. Yeah. So let's you and I change that right now, because frankly, I know women who act with the my way or the highway mm-hmm. style. And I know men who are much more empathetic and compassionate. And the fact of the matter is the engagement that you talked about necessitates your being being able to demonstrate as a CEO that compassion and that empathy. And that's just great leadership. Mm-hmm. It's not masculine. It's not feminine. Yes. Okay. I love it. Yes, ma'am. You and I, we're going to change that conversation yeah. for all the leaders that are out there today. So tell me a little bit, though. Now you are eight years into this journey. How has your leadership style developed? What were you thinking about yourself as a leader in 2014, 2015 that you see differently today? Yeah. In the beginning, I thought that a leader was that dictator leader. Like, this is what you do. I thought delegation was you do this and don't do what I do, but do as I say. That's what I really thought leadership was. What I've learned is that in entrepreneurship, as a CEO, you're not going to know everything. But what you should know is how to surround yourself with people that can complement certain skill sets that you may not have. So for most people, they know that my husband is COO of the company. He has a totally different background, right? He came from an operations and engineering background. His skill set complements the areas that I don't have. I don't want to use my time, energy, and resources to focus on something that's not producing fruit. I want to focus on the things that are my strengths that really help drive the business and complement the areas of weakness. And then we also have mentors that we ask questions to make sure that we're going in the right direction. So it's all about surrounding yourselves with people that are smarter than you in certain areas that you're not. Mm -hmm. And then also we went through a period of being profitable. That was in 2018. And that period, I always say, because I'm a faith-based person, that God will sometimes put you through things to make you learn, right? Absolutely. So I felt that we went through that stage. So now I can appreciate the moments where I am profitable, right? I can appreciate monitoring my spending and making sure that I know what's going in and also what's coming out. Before 2018, I really wasn't focused on that. I was really focused on the creative side, product innovation, research and development, because that's what my comfort zone was. But going through that period of being unprofitable allowed me to reflect and say, this is what I need to pay attention to because your finances, that's the foundation of the business. No matter how creative you are, you can't create great products if you don't have the money and the profits to reinvest that back into the business. Mm -hmm. And so one of the reasons why we became unprofitable was because we went through some really bad accountants and CFOs. They didn't have a high knowledge of understanding of the industry that I was in. Yes. And they were managing our books totally inappropriately. But it allowed me to understand what a good accountant is. And so we took an investment from New Voices. That was our first round of investment. And they were great mentors to us and helped us find a new CFO. So having that state of vulnerability to say, you know what, look, I just don't know, but I need help. Mm-hmm. Like that is a sign of strength, not weakness. And Absolutely. we expressed what our problems were, what our challenges were, and bringing them on board helped us find the right people, put them in place. And they also invested in us and put us in a state of being profitable, which mm-hmm. allowed us to even have the conversations with the investment banker, the subsequent year to do so. Absolutely. Especially when you're talking to private equity folks or VCs. 
Because if they even smell that you don't either understand your business, don't understand the finances, or you don't understand the game, and let's be clear, fundraising is a game, Mm -hmm. right? And the execution, another side of it is the other part of the game. If they realize you don't understand that, they will take advantage of you at the decision-making table, and you can't take it personally. You know, that is the law of the jungle. You have to know the jungle, right? And you have to know the rules. Yeah. Now, remember, the CFO that we hired telling us once we got back into a profitable state, and I will never forget this, he said the best time to raise money is when you don't need the money. That's right. And I appreciated his context because I knew how hard it was to raise money when I wasn't profitable. That's right. The banks didn't want to have a conversation with us. Investment firms didn't want to have a conversation with us. So when he said that, it really resonated with me like, wow, you raise money when you don't need the money because it gives you leverage. So once we took the investment from New Voices, we got into a very profitable state and I knew I was like, our EBITDA looks really well because now I understood what EBITDA was, right? <laughs> now I understood how my profit and loss statement should look, right? And I said, we need to raise to go for another round so we can truly scale our business. His nugget, his wisdom of advice, it like resonated in my soul. And I knew once we got to that state that it was time to raise. So, Monique, now that you have this capital, with there being new criteria on your report card around execution, how are you thinking about your goals going forward and then communicating that to the rest of the organization? Because this was a game changer. You know, we went with the narrative because it's true is that we don't know everything and we wanted to bring on resources to help us grow and scale. In order to be a global beauty brand, you need those doors to be open that you may not be able to open yourselves unless you have your big brother behind your back, right? Which is those private equity firms. And so we just expressed to our team that they are here to help. Just for example, we pride ourselves on employing our community. You have private equity companies that will come in and clean house, right? We were very adamant that the people that are in our warehouse, the people that work for us, they're important to us. We love providing opportunity and jobs to the community. That can't change. So it's really just helping them understand and bringing them into your vision and making sure that they're aligned with your vision and they don't want to come and disrupt that. So then we have the confidence to go back to our team and say, we found some great partners. They are not here to disrupt, but they are here to help. We had Mm -hmm. some people get it, and then you have some people that didn't get it, and some people, quite frankly, are just afraid of change. That's right. You know, with our private equity partners, as far as like the execution, they immediately came on board and said, what can we help you with? What are some of the challenges? And we knew immediately that we need to help with infrastructure because sometimes your company is growing faster than your infrastructure can support. And so we need to help on the operations side. We put together this whole plan and prioritize what we need to focus on first, because that's one of the challenges, because when you're growing so fast, it's like, how do you put the right people in place to make sure that you're executing the tasks that you need to be focused on first? The things that's really going to help drive the business and drive growth was something that they immediately came on board and helped with. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. Outstanding. Monique, one of the things I was going to talk about that I talk about in Lead to Win, Chapter 10, as a matter of fact, is that leadership has evolved from oversight to insight. And in this case, you're talking about the fact that you glean the insights from sort of dating the capital beforehand. And that also underscores the point. And I'm just going to put this playbook point out there. All money is not created equal. 
<laughs> Let's say it again. All money is not created equal. Having the right partner yep. with the money is the most important right. thing and making sure that while they're helping you to disrupt the industry, they don't disrupt the culture Correct. that you've already started to bring. And you were able to bring that insight into your team and help them to understand what that looks like. Let's talk about another leadership issue, though. I talk about in Chapter 9 about blind spots. Mm -hmm. Everybody has them. Everybody has them. What have you learned or what blind spots have you identified for yourself as a CEO as you've watched your own evolution over these last eight years? Oh, that's a good question. Blind Mm -hmm. spots. And you're right. Everybody has them. I would say some of my blind spots and that I still continue to work on, like I really don't like public speaking, but... I feel like great things happen when you step out of your comfort zone. In the beginning, I wanted to shy away from being on panels and doing presentations. I'll just be like, okay, my husband's going to do it. But I also feel like God will use the the people that are most uncomfortable doing it because... Anybody say Moses? <laughs> I, listen, you took the words right out of my mouth. Like, Oh, I'm with you. I'm listen, with you. Listen, <laughs> I was just about to go there. Like, you know, like Moses said, you want to use me to rescue the people? Like... I have a stuttering problem. I can't do that. Why you can't use somebody else to do that? And God's like, no, I'm going to use you the least expected, the least qualified, so to speak, according to society, but you're going to fulfill my purpose and my calling. And that's exactly what I felt because my husband's very extroverted. You know, he's very Uh talkative. And so I always would think that like he would be the one that's in the forefront and speaking and talking. And God's like, nope, mm -mm. I'm going to use you because you're not going to lean on him for areas that you're uncomfortable. I'm going to push you outside of your comfort zone because you're great at it and you're going to be called to be impactful and change people's lives. Which is what you've done, which is why you're so incredibly good at it, (laughs) that you started with no products, creating community and educating. You offered value before you even started, which is something that's continuing to help you differentiate the business. So how could you abdicate speaking to your community when you started this thing, (laughs) speaking to your community? So it's it's all come full circle. And, and speaking of serving your community, Mayel has an initiative called More Than a Strand that helps female entrepreneurs secure funding and resources to get their ventures off the ground. So what do you teach these women about leadership? Because as you know, you can have a great product and you can even get it to market and it can even be differentiated and better than the competition that's out there. So what do you teach them about leadership from your early days? Well, I would say, you know, one of the most important things is to, and I'm going to go back to finding people that can help execute your vision. Okay. Because you can do it by yourself. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they fail or their No, they fail. You're right. Yeah. Because. Keep <laughs> going. I don't want to be harsh. Because they try to do everything themselves. There you go. And I, and I always say, like, if you are building a company and you've been building this company for a year or two and you are still the only one. You're answering calls. You are doing product development. You're doing everything. You're fulfilling orders. Yeah. It's not a business Mm -hmm. because there's no way that you can grow and expand if you are doing everything. Like there is no possible way. There is no millionaire, billionaire that has became where they are by doing everything by themselves. They have a team. And I think T.D. Jake said it best, weight distributors. Mm -hmm. You You carry a lot of weight as an entrepreneur. If you don't have anyone to distribute that weight to, and that means people that can help you balance the weight then that weight is just going to do what? Weigh you down. I love T.D. Jakes and I love the way he uses words and put the imagery right in your face. And it's not being harsh, Monique. It's It's being real.
So let's talk a little bit about leading through a crisis because it is truly a great teacher. And for some people, a crisis really brings out the incredible leader that they are. And for other people, it shows that they're not really a leader at all. And for other people, it sinks them. So COVID-19 was certainly something we could call a crisis. And how did you navigate this with your team? Yeah, when COVID-19 hit, I told myself, I said, we could either sink or swim, but I'm going to choose to swim. And at that time, listen, we had just done the, the deal with New Voices a couple of weeks before COVID happened. So just imagine you took this huge investment from partners and then COVID hits and you're like, OK, what's going to happen? So I leaned into my mentors, Richard Lou Dennis at New Voices, and I said, what do you recommend? Like, do you recommend we hold our marketing dollars because we don't know if we're going to need that money? Or do you just recommend really putting my foot on the gas and not looking back? And his response to me was, put your foot on the gas. That's exactly right. That's why I love Rich. He's one of the first people that I interviewed, as you know, on Access and Opportunity. Yeah. We see eye to eye on these things. That's exactly right. That's the time to to put your foot on the gas. gas. That's right. And when he told me that, lo and behold, I put my foot on the gas. And I took that moment as an opportunity to rise above the circumstance. And so I said, we got to get creative. We got to pivot. We had a 300 and something page marketing plan. I said, throw that plan away. What can we do to overserve and be impactful and help our people during this moment of uncertainty and still deliver great products to them? So one of the things that we did from a marketing perspective was we said, okay, we don't have events. Events was a huge part of how we Mm. marketed, right? Grass, Mm -hmm. grassroots marketing boots on the ground. That was thrown out the window. All of our events Mm -hmm. activations were, were gone, right? People were not going to the stores. So we said, well, we have our D2C platform, right? Stores were closed. So we're going to leverage things on a digital. And I told my team, I said, people are going to be on their phones. People are going to be consuming content a whole lot different than they were when they worked because they were busy. Now they have nothing to do, but they're going to be on their phones all day. We need to be the people that show up on their phones and be on their timeline over and over again. So we said, well, we're going to go live every day, every day. And we went live and we served. We were dancing. We did things to uplift the community. We did a lot of give back initiatives. We gave back funding and money to the community. So that became memorable for our consumers. Like they will remember the brand that helped them get through this pandemic. Right. Mm -hmm. And then also planning and forecasting, building great relationships with our manufacturers and, and retail partners. So we didn't go out of stock. Yep. Which means, again, you had insight. Yeah. Once you decided that this was the way you were going to go, you also said to yourself, I can't afford to run out. Yeah. Right. Because if I'm going to create all this momentum as a newer brand, the easiest way to lose your consumers is to to go silent, to not be able to serve, to not be able to deliver, because then they leave you in the environment that we're in now where people are so transient with respect to their brand loyalty. You know, I will tell you that in Chapter 8 of Lead to Win, I talk about leading through a crisis, and you just hit them all with the example you just gave. I said you have to be visible, you have to be transparent, you have to be decisive, you have to be empathetic, and you have to be willing to call a thing a thing. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you went live every day, you were calling a thing a thing. It's the pandemic, y'all, right? But you still got to take care of your hair. You still have to do this. So you were visible. You know, you were empathetic. You were saying, I see you. We're in this thing, too. That's why we're just going to have some fun today. You were decisive operationally. 
Perfection. Perfection, Monique. I got to tell you, which is one of the reasons you've seen the success that you've seen. And you're dead right. People always remember when. Yeah. So if you are with me when I'm having a tough time and the pandemic was directly and indirectly a tough time for everybody, it was the great equalizer. There's not a person on the planet that wasn't impacted by it in some way. It's going to certainly hold you in good stead. And, and then I want to just add to that. It still yeah. goes back to leading with compassion. If you don't have yes, compassion ma'am. and empathy to realize what's going on in the world, you're not going to have the mindset to say, you know what, let me serve people. Your mindset is going to be, well, I'm just worried about me, me, me. It can't just be about you. If you lead with compassion, you think about others. You are making my heart sing because, listen, I'm in your choir. Every (laughs) single pearl that you drop today are pearls that will yield a big return if you're an entrepreneur. And just think about following this playbook. Just even a couple of the things that you've shared today. Mm -hmm. You will never lose, Monique, if you keep that focus as a CEO. Last question. If you were starting Myel today, The fundraising landscape is different. We're post-COVID. A lot of things have changed. If you were starting it today, what would you do differently, if anything? I wouldn't do anything differently, honestly, because I feel that, you know, I don't live with regrets. I feel that everything that I did has molded me and helped to educate me to be the leader and the person that I am today. So I wouldn't do anything different. All righty. Monique, thank you for being on Access and Opportunity. Yes, thank you again for having me. I appreciate it. I want to thank Monique Rodriguez again for joining me on this episode of Access and Opportunity. What did you think of today's episode? Send us your thoughts at carlapod at morganstanley.com. And to continue learning about individuals working to drive systemic change within their communities, subscribe to Access and Opportunity on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks for coming along.